And now would you please stand for a reading of the word of God. I'll begin reading in John chapter 21, beginning with verse 1. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee and the sons of Zebedee and the two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat until you find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and he threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragged the net full of fish for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. I love questions. In fact, you could say that questions are my love language. I feel loved when people ask me questions. I think questions demonstrate interest. They demonstrate care. They, they demonstrate a kind of curiosity. I love the provocative power of a good question. You see, a good question gets beneath the surface. 
It doesn't allow us to hide or remain complacent. A good question pushes us to be honest. It forces us to deal with the deepest places of our heart. Places we might not ordinarily be willing to go unless we're prompted with a well-crafted question. Jesus was a master at asking good questions. In fact, Jesus asked over 300 questions in the Gospels. In the book of John, Jesus' very first words were actually a question. When Jesus called his first disciples, he asked them, what are you seeking? Later on in the book of John, Jesus comes to an invalid at the pool of Bethesda, and he asks him, do you want to be healed? He comes to a blind man after he restored his sight, and Jesus asks, do you believe in the Son of Man? Jesus asked Mary outside of the empty tomb, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Jesus asked Thomas, after, Thomas, after he showed Thomas his hands and his side, he asked him, have you believed because you've seen me? Jesus asked many questions in the book of John. But of all the questions that Jesus asked, the question that he asked Peter after he rose again from the dead cuts deepest to the human heart. Jesus asked, do you love me? He didn't ask Peter, do you know lots of things about me? He didn't ask, have you done good things for me? He didn't even ask Peter, do you believe in me? No, he looked at Peter and he asked him, do you love me? Why did Jesus ask Peter that question? Was it because he doubted Peter's love? Was it because Jesus, the one who was there at creation, the one who was just risen from the dead, the King of kings and Lord of lords, perhaps did Jesus not actually know the answer to the question? whether or not Peter loved him? No. You see, I believe that Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? Not for his benefit, but for Peter's. And you see, as 21st century Americans, we are so quick to answer a question, even when we don't know the answer. We don't like the dead space in the wake of a good question. And so we fill it with words and words and more words, just speaking and speaking until we stumble upon some kind of answer. And just like Peter, we are too quick to answer the question that Jesus has for you and me this morning. This morning, Jesus is asking all of us, do you love me? Some of you hear that question this morning and you're quick to answer, just like Peter. You're quick to say, yes, Lord, of course I love you. Others of you hear that question and when you hear it, you immediately feel condemnation. You feel guilt and shame. Though you've tried your entire life to love Jesus 
When he asks, do you love me? All you can think is my love has fallen short. I could never love him enough. And what I want you to see this morning is that both kinds of people fail to recognize the heart behind Jesus' question. They fail to recognize the love and grace and mercy behind Jesus asking, do you love me? See, it's not a question of condemnation. It's an invitation. This morning, what I want you to see is Jesus is telling you and me through Peter and his story, I love you and I'm inviting you to love me back. And so I want us to sit for a moment with that question. Don't be tempted to answer it too quickly. Jesus is asking, do you love me? The only way that we can even begin to answer that question is we first realize that loving Jesus begins and ends with his great love for us. The first way that I want us to see this this morning is this. I want you to see that loving Jesus begins with complete dependence. I want you to look at verse 1 of chapter 21, the Gospel of John. John tells us that after this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. We do not like the feeling of dependence. We do not like the feeling of weakness. We like coming from a position of strength and power. But if there's anything that Jesus' question, do you love me, should show us this morning is that we are needy, that our love is faulty and it's fickle. We cannot love without Jesus' first initiating love towards us. And we see this in verse 1. Twice we're told that Jesus revealed himself to his disciples. That word revealed just means that that Jesus showed himself. He, He made himself known. In other words, after Jesus rose from the dead, because of his love for his disciples, he went out of his way to reveal himself to them. And he's doing it now. And if you've been with us these last several weeks, you know that this wasn't the first time. In fact, John tells us in verse 14 that this is the third time that Jesus made himself known to his disciples. You see, out of his resurrection power, Jesus is pursuing his people. He's pursuing his disciples. He's making himself known. And this is what he is doing with you and me this morning. Because he loves you, he is pursuing you. He is seeking you out. And though you have failed to love him, though you have failed to see him for who he really is, he's revealing himself to you. It's been this way from the very beginning. John and his letter, his first letter, put it this way. 1 John 4 verse 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. The first thing you have to know about loving Jesus is that we have not loved him. 
He loved us first. Jesus loved us with a pursuing, initiating love. His love initiates a relationship with you and me that we do not deserve. And so verse 2, we're told that Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. Seven of the remaining disciples have left Jerusalem and they've returned to Galilee. They went home. I want you to imagine what it must have been like for them after all that they had seen. The crucifixion, Jesus risen from the dead, and now they've gone home. Everything has changed, and so now what? What should they do? John tells us what they did in verse 3. Simon Peter says to them, the other disciples, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we're going to go with you. Now, when you hear about fishing in the Bible, what do you think of? What do you imagine? When my third daughter was born, and I was confronted with this new and incredible responsibility of raising three girls in this world, I began to kind of imagine what my life was becoming. And as I thought about all the birthday parties and pink and unicorns and prom dresses and first dates and weddings, I began to search for some kind of guide, some kind of help in this new uncharted territory of being a girl dad. And so I took up fly fishing. I needed something, some kind of hobby, some kind of way to get out of the house, something to devote myself to. And maybe it's because I love tedious things and things that are hard that I will never master for my entire life, but I was hooked immediately. I love fly fishing. And so when Peter asks uh, the other disciples to go fishing, I want so badly to imagine that immediately they're going and grabbing their fly rods and they're hitting the water. But that's not what's happening here. For Peter and these other disciples to go fishing, this isn't a bunch of fishing buddies going on a trip. These are fishing partners. They were fishermen. You see, fishing was their former way of life. It was their occupation before they became Christ's disciples. And so here they are after Jesus died and rose again and and they're not really with him anymore, at least not all the time. Only three times has he appeared to them. They feel probably alone, vulnerable, exposed, and so they go back to the occupation that they've always known. This has led some people to wonder maybe this was apostasy. Maybe they had left their calling as apostles, as disciples. They were going back to becoming fishermen again, but I don't think that's what's happening. You see, I think there's something here for us. When you think about the resurrection life, when you think about what it means for the resurrection to change everything, I want you to understand that the resurrection changes everything. And so we think about the resurrection life, I don't want you to imagine some radical life other than the life that you have now. No, I want you to see that the resurrection of Jesus Christ radically transforms ordinary mundane life. It changes everything. Today's Mother's Day. Those of you who've ever been around a mother, you've seen this at work. 
the power of the resurrection life and the ministry and calling of motherhood. The way a mother rises early in the morning to make breakfast for her children. The way that she tirelessly cares for them. The way that she patiently teaches them. The way that she unconditionally loves them. Each one of these qualities of motherhood is a picture of the way that the resurrection changes everything. It takes the most mundane task and helps us to see that God has appointed us to it for our joy and for his glory and for his kingdom. And so here are the disciples, these seven with Peter, they're fishing They're fishing all night, and we're told in verse 3 that they catch nothing. I wonder if Jesus' words echoed in their mind. I'm the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. In this moment, they probably never felt so apart from Jesus, wondering if they would ever see him again after seeing him risen from the dead twice. Here they are out on the boat and they're catching nothing, feeling weak and powerless and completely dependent. And then in verse four, John tells us that just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples didn't know it was Jesus. Jesus calls out to them, children, do you have any fish? And they admit, no, we don't. And he says, cast the net out on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. And so they do as he says, They cast the net out on the right side of the boat and they catch so many fish that they can't even count them until they get to this shore. It's almost an exact reenactment of the day when Jesus first called them to be his disciples three years before. On that day when they first met Jesus, they were fishing and they had fished all night and Jesus came to them and he told them to cast out their nets And they caught so many that their boat began to sink. It was at that moment that Jesus invited them to follow him and become fishers of men. And now in this moment, three years later, after he died and rose again, he is reminding them of their calling. He's reminding them of who they are as disciples, as followers of Jesus, just like he's reminding you and me that there is a call that he has invited you and me to, an invitation that he is asking through the question, do you love me? An invitation to be loved by him and to follow him. And so verse seven, we're told that Peter recognizes along with John that it's Jesus. And so Peter strips down, just like you would imagine Peter would, so full of zeal and so brash, He throws himself into the sea and he starts swimming. You see, Peter cannot help but respond to Jesus's initiating love. And so it is with us. We do not love him. No, he first loved us. And the question, do you love me, is an invitation an invitation that out of his love, he is calling you, he's calling me, he's saying, come, be loved. 
and learn what it looks like to love me back. Not only does loving Jesus begin with dependence, begin with recognizing that our love for him is dependent on his love for us. The second thing I want us to see is that loving Jesus is cultivated by friendship. In verse 12, Jesus then calls out to his disciples. He says, come and have breakfast. Jesus provided a miraculous catch of fish. In fact, John later tells us that there were 153 fish in all. Jesus not only did that, but then he made a charcoal fire. He brought bread. He set a table and he invited his disciples to share a meal with him. Now in those days, sharing a meal together was a sign of intimacy a sign of fellowship. It's not the way that you and I might eat together today at a business lunch or even the way some families are forced to eat dinner at night. Although we have more time now than we ever have, don't we? Now today we rush through so many meals, but in those days meals would last for hours and people would sit around the table and laugh and share stories and experience what it means to be loved and to love back. It was a sign of friendship. And so Jesus in verse 13, we're told he he took bread and he gave it to them. And so it was with the fish. They were just at a meal, almost exactly like this, just a few weeks before. A meal where Jesus took bread and he broke it. A meal where he then got down on his hands and knees And he washed their feet as a sign of his love for them, as a sign of real friendship. And this is what he told his disciples in John chapter 15. Jesus said, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. Jesus was reminding them that their place with him was not that of a servant, but as a friend. Can you imagine what it must have been like for them to hear that? After three years of serving Jesus, for him to say, I'm now giving you a promotion. No longer are you just servants, but you are my friends. Brothers and sisters in Christ, what I want you to see is so it is with you. And so it is with me. You have been made friends of God through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, much like a meal, friendship in our culture is not always seen the way it ought to be seen. Today, we we think of friendship even through things like social media or having a friend through Instagram or Facebook and it's reduced to likes on a page. But friendship is the greatest of all relationships. It's to be called into true fellowship with another person, to be loved by them to the very end and to be invited to love them in the same way. C.S. Lewis put it this way in The Four Loves. 
Lewis wrote, to the ancients, friendship seemed the happiest and most fully human of all the loves, the crown of life, the school of virtue. The modern world, in comparison, ignores it. It's something quite marginal, not a main course in life's banquet, but a diversion. Something fills up the chinks of one's time. I want you to begin to reimagine what it means to be a friend and to see that Christ's question to you and me and to the apostle Peter, do you love me, is an invitation to friendship. These are his words for you and me this morning, the words that he spoke to his disciples in the upper room. He said, I have called you friends for all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. Jesus has invited us to deep, intimate friendship with him. So what does that look like? What does that mean to love Jesus Christ like a friend? I want you to know that one of the greatest struggles of my Christian life has been to see Jesus as my friend. I see Jesus as my savior. I see Jesus as sovereign. I see Jesus as my teacher, as my redeemer, as my king, as my Lord. But for some reason, it has been so hard to see Jesus as my friend. And about a year ago on a silent retreat, I was reminded of a passage that I'd read a thousand times in my favorite book of the Bible, no less, in the book of Romans, Romans chapter five. We used it for our words of assurance this morning. I wanna read you Romans five, beginning in verse 10 from the New Living Translation. This is what Paul says. He says, for since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. What I saw a year ago, what's been so hard for me to see is that even when I was an enemy of Jesus, Jesus died and rose again so that I could become his friend. That is amazing love. And though I am such a bad friend to so many people and especially to Jesus, that doesn't mean that he's going to be a bad friend to me. Jesus Christ has befriended you. Out of his great love for you, he died for you even when you hated him. Even when you were an enemy, Paul says, Christ died for you so that you might become friends of God. And now he is inviting you by his love and by his grace to enter in to friendship with him through his son, Jesus Christ. The third and final way that I think we learn about loving Jesus through the life of Peter is this, that loving Jesus ends with sacrifice. Now, notice I said that loving Jesus ends with sacrifice. I did not say it begins in sacrifice, though many of you, I think, try to live that way. You think that somehow perhaps you could earn God's love, Jesus' love for you, if you sacrifice your life for him. 
But no, loving Jesus ends with sacrifice. And you cannot love sacrificially unless you first understand that Jesus loved you first, that your love is dependent on his love, and you cannot love sacrificially unless you understand that he has called you into deep abiding friendship with himself. I know because I've tried, and so do Peter. Verse 15 of John 21, we're told that when the disciples finished breakfast, Jesus said to Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now, when you hear that question, you might be wondering, Jesus, why would you ask Peter that? Why are you putting him in that position? Do you really expect Peter to love you more than the other disciples? But remember, Jesus is asking this question not for his own sake, but for Peter's. And you see, Peter, just a few weeks before, had claimed to love Jesus more than the other disciples. The Gospel of Matthew describes it well, Matthew 26, verse 33. Peter told Jesus, though all these others will fall away, I will never fall away. You see, Jesus did not expect Peter to love him more than the other disciples. No, Peter put that expectation on himself and he compared his love to the love of other people. How often do we do that? How often do we compare our own sense of morality or holiness or love for Jesus to other people in order to make ourselves feel better, in order to justify ourselves? But that is not what Jesus wants from us. And it's not enough. It wasn't enough for Peter because the very next verse Matthew tells us, Jesus tells Peter, truly, truly, I tell you this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Three times Peter denied that he knew Jesus. In Jesus' hour of greatest need, when he had been arrested and he faced a cross, Peter denied that he even knew the man. Three times Peter denied Jesus. And now three times Jesus is asking Peter, do you love me? This is not a coincidence. Peter is flabbergasted. He is frustrated by Jesus' insistence to ask him over and over again, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? But with three times that Peter denied Jesus, he is now given the opportunity three times to repent, to turn back to Jesus and to declare his love for him because of Christ's unfailing, gracious love to Peter. When Peter asked the question, do you love me? He's not condemning him. He's not saying, hey, Peter, why did you deny me? He's not holding Peter over the fire. But no, he's coming as a friend. He's made a fire for Peter. He is inviting him to a feast. And he's saying, Peter, do you love me? Of course, all three times, Peter quickly answers, yes, you know, I love you, Lord. And all three times, Jesus then says, feed my sheep. You see, in these three questions, Peter, do you love me? Jesus was restoring Peter back to who he had originally called him to be. Jesus 
was reminding him of his calling, reminding him his identity as his beloved son. He was saying, Peter, I love you. Now come, love me back and fulfill the calling I've given you to be just like me. You see, Jesus was a shepherd that laid his life down for the sheep. And now Jesus was restoring Peter to that same calling, to become a shepherd who is lay his life down. We're told at the end of this passage in John 21, that Jesus tells him that he would one day stretch out his hands, that he would go to a place he did want to go. And John tells us that this is to tell what kind of death he would glorify God. What you might not realize is that Peter was martyred. And at the very end of this passage, Jesus tells Peter, after Peter declares his love for him, he says, come, follow me. Along with the question, do you love me? It was an invitation to follow Jesus to the cross, to follow him to the sacrificial life. And what I want you to see this morning is that Jesus is giving you and I the same opportunity, the same invitation. And you might wonder, well, why do I want to give up everything for Jesus? Why would I want to sacrifice everything? Why would I want to take up my cross and follow him? Because Jesus loved you first. Because Jesus loved you so much that even though you sinned against him, that even though you were his enemy, he took your sin in his body and he died for you on the cross. Because he loved you so much on the third day, he rose again for you and for me. There is no greater display of love that the world has ever known than the sacrifice that Jesus made for you and me on the cross. This is love, that Christ died and rose again for you and me. And so this morning, he's asking you, do you love me? The only way that you can answer that question is if you first see that he loved you to the point of death, even death on a cross. Please join me in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we pray that you would be with us now, that as we sing this final hymn, that you would stir in our hearts, help us to live and to proclaim the great love that you have for us through the cross. And Lord, help us to respond to that love by loving you back, by entering into friendship, a dependent relationship with you through the Son, that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we might know what it means to be loved by the Savior of the world. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.